0: Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. We're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart this morning. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> if you're not a church person or just checking us out or checking church out, some of the stuff I'm going to talk about is probably one of the reasons you've not been a church person or not been a regularly a, a church goer. Because we, as a church, have gotten some things wrong. Um, I want to talk about what kind of church we're trying to be or want to be or are, and reasons why that's the kind of church we are, and it's a little bit different than you might expect if um, you know our tradition and denomination we're part of. So hopefully you'll find this informative and helpful, and hopefully inspirational and uh, visionary, because uh, we are truly trying to be the the church that God wants us to be. Now all churches pretty much would say that. So I want to talk a little bit about my pilgrimage and my history and how I got, we got where we are today. So, glad that you're here. Um, separation of church and hate, for whatever reason, church and unchurched people tend to not like each other. It's kind of like political scene where Democrats and Republicans don't like each other. The problem with that is not much gets accomplished, does it? And if you're like me, you're a little frustrated with the political process. There's just a lot of arguing and and not getting much done. And it's not very constructive uh, the way the church and culture, if you will, uh, are the opposite ends of of the spectrum. So I came across this story, I thought it was exemplary of what we're talking about a young pastor who was very Republican. His church was very Republican, very conservative. And he became pretty famous, and he was asked to come and pray with the president. Pray for the president. <clears throat> and he was concerned about that. Uh, president is a different political party. Is it being too political? Uh, what are people going to think? All that kind of stuff. But anyway, before he had an answer, he had a, the privilege of going and spending some time with Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham doesn't go out much anymore. He's quite old and... But he does have groups of pastors come in, and he talks to them. And so, while he was there, he had a chance to ask Billy Graham what he should do. He said, "I'm concerned, you know, what are people going to think if I go and pray with the president?" And uh, I love Billy Graham's answer. He said, "Son, you're a preacher, and this is what we do." And that was his answer. <laughs> uh, don't worry about, you know, what people are going to think. You know, go and pray. Pray for the president. <clears throat> now. I grew up in, uh, well, I started going to church as a teenager, but since then, I've been in a quote-unquote Southern Baptist church, and we're a Southern Baptist church, and and that probably brings some things to mind, some connotations, part of the evangelical church, if you will, in in America. And over the years, uh, I discovered that my church leadership type of church that I wanted to have was the kind that I grew up with. Uh, That was my model. Uh, and for most of us, that's our model. It's really not the Bible or what Jesus would do. It's the model of the church we were comfortable with or we grew up with. <clears throat> so over time, I began to notice that it seemed like we were always against everything. Uh, I don't know if you go back some years, you know, we were uh, against the lottery, uh, which, which I agree with. We should be against the lottery. And we were, we were against Disney. We tried to boycott Disney. I don't think that had much effect. Uh, we were against cabbage patch dolls. Some of you remember back that far? I don't know, even know why we were against cabbage patch dolls, but we were. And then, of course, we were against abortion, and I agree we should be against abortion. And now we're supposed to to uh, boycott Is a target, right? Um, we're supposed to boycott target. And it just seemed like we were always against something. Of course, we're against the gays, and we're against, you know same-sex marriage, and the list is almost endless. That things we're against. And theologically, I would agree with, with most of those positions. Uh, but I didn't want to be against everything. And then uh, years ago, I heard Rick Warren say that church should be known for what it's for, not what it's against. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So that became part of this this process. And if you look at Jesus, and if you look at Paul in particular you don't really see them standing up against things. I mean, Jesus, in particular, he ministered during an occupation by a foreign country, the Roman Empire. If you wanted to be against something, he could have preached against the Roman Empire, couldn't he? But he didn't. Um, Paul didn't. In fact, the only people that Paul and Jesus seemed to be against were who? If you think about it. There's this group we call the Pharisees. And they were the really, they were like the religious right of their day. They were against everything. And they were the only people that Jesus and Paul seemed to be against. And the Pharisees, as well as the evangelical church, tend to have, from my perspective, this attitude. Become like us, and then you can join us. You know, stop doing that, don't do that. You know, be a Republican, don't be a Democrat, you know, whatever. Then you can come and join us. Now, who does that sound like? That sounds like the Pharisees, right? You get your act together and then you can come join us. Now Jesus, being our model, you know, he went to Matthew, this tax collector. He was a traitorous tax collector because he was checked, tax, collecting taxes for the Romans. And he says to P- Matthew, I want to go to your house and invite your friends. I want to meet your friends. Who, who would have been his friends? Well, the other tax collectors. And Peter's saying, hey, I'm not going to Matthew's house. He's a, you know, he's a a traitor. You know, I'm going to get tax collector cooties or something if I go spend, hang out with him. I don't know if Peter went or not, but Jesus went, didn't he? So the evangelical church is so concerned about making a point. But the question was, were we really making any difference? I remember years ago, and some of you have been around Jones's, Hoover's, you know, we'd go out on on, on uh, dual highway and hold these anti-abortion signs once a year. I can't remember the reason, what what the date was, why we did it. It wasn't in January because I remember it wasn't cold. And, uh, you know, we were making a point. And I agree. I agree. We're against it. But did we make a difference? You know, the people that were for us would cheer us. The people were against us would yell things at us <laughs> as they drove by. I don't think we made a difference. Now, people that work in crisis pregnancy centers, I think they make a difference, but I don't think we made a difference. Now, here is something I want you to remember. If <laughs> you don't remember much else that I say this morning, it's always easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. Your parents get this. <laughs> You have these rules, and your kids disobey the rules, and so you sit them down, you have this talk. It's really not a conversation, because you don't let them talk, right? (laughs) You said, you've done this, and you shouldn't have done this, and this is our rule, and you need to behave, and, and you give them the whole spiel, and then you send them to their room to think about it. And you're sitting thinking, oh, boy, I'm a good parent. And I told them, I made my point, stuck to my point, and they're up in their room thinking about it, right? No. <laughs> They're playing Xbox or on their computer or on their phone or something, right? <clears throat> point, would you make a difference? Did you really change your kids? Probably not. <laughs> and you'd sometime in the future have another same, same conversation, right? But you hadn't changed, their, changed them, you just made your point. And that's what I see the church doing. We're standing up for truth and righteousness. We're making a point, but we're not making a difference. Let me just ask you, is the church making progress or are we going backwards as far as our impact on culture and our society? I've been a pastor for 40 years. From my perspective, we're going backwards. We're making progress. So, me, your church leadership, and hopefully you want to make, be a church to be a difference-making church. Not a point-making church. So what's involved is different, completely different strategy. Again, it's easier to make a point. I love making a point. I love getting up here and just teaching truth, teaching the Bible. In fact, you guys pay me to do that. That's easy to do. That's fun to do. And, I, and you'll clap for me sometimes or say kind words to me as you leave. But are we making a difference? It takes a different strategy. And making a difference is slow, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's confusing. But if we look at, especially the New Testament, we have a roadmap how to, roadmap how to do it. And the reason we know how to do it is because the early church did it. After three hundred years, the early church—very few people, no political influence, no money, no buildings, no nothing—three hundred years later. They conquered ideologically and theologically the Roman Empire. The ones that had (laughs) invaded uh, Israel. How did they do that? By making points? (laughs) They didn't have any points. They had no influence if they share their points. So we have a model. So in the Gospels, we find the picture how to bring about cultural change. So, let me share some observations of how they did it. <clears throat> First, they constantly leaned relationally in the direction of those they disagreed with the most. Who did Jesus hang out with? Did he hang out with the Pharisees? That's who he agreed with the most, theologically. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. Building, we would say, building relational Bridges. That's the only way you get influence, is to build a relational bridge. Paul's a great example. <laughs> he was a missionary, went over the starting churches in Gre- modern Turkey and Greece and eventually Rome. <clears throat> so he goes to Athens, once upon a time, the center of culture in, in the world. When the Greeks were in control of the world, now it's the Romans. But still a very powerful nation, uh, powerful country, a city. And they're very religious people. The Athenians were very religious. They had all these gods. They had a pantheon of gods. Gods of this, gods of that. And then the Romans took over those gods and they changed some of their names. But anyway, you can study that Greek mythology. So Paul shows up in Athens and he goes and he sees all these statues, these idols. Uh, he would call them idols to these gods. Now, being a, a good Jew, <laughs> now a Christian, he knew the Ten Commandments. What's one of the Ten Commandments? Don't have any other gods before me. Don't have any uh, 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 idols. So he could have showed up and said, Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. This is <laughs> wrong. These are, you're making idols. That would have been the easiest thing to do, right? Just preach them a sermon about what they're doing wrong. But this is fascinating. It's kind of crazy. The Athenians were so conscientious, religiously conscientious, that they wanted to make sure they didn't overlook one of the gods. So we think we got them all, but just in case we missed one, there was this (laughs) place for the idol to the unknown god. And if he shows up, we'll know what kind of idol to make, and we'll put it there, all right? So you didn't want to miss anything. So Paul comes along and he says, wow, that's pretty cool. I want to talk to you about this unknown god over here. And what did he talk about? Did he talk about idolatry? No, he talked about Jesus. He said, I want to tell you about this guy, this Galilean named Jesus. He was the son of God. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He suffered and died for your sin and my sins so we can be reconnected to God. And he raised from the dead on the third day so we don't need to fear death and we can live eternally with him. That was his sermon. Now, most of the Athenians thought he was crazy. (laughs) Admitted. But some of them said, hey, that's pretty interesting. I want to come back and talk to you some more about that tomorrow. So what did he do? He found common ground. You're religious. I'm religious. You have, you're worshiping an unknown God, and I'm here to tell you about him. Built relational bridges. What else did they do? Or what else can we observe? Well, they were constantly at odds with what we would call a religious right. Uh, In their case, the Pharisees, right? Now, the fascinating thing is you gave them a theological test. Check, check, check. The Pharisees and Jesus and Paul would almost agree on everything theologically. Yeah, we believe in the Ten Commandments, believe there's only one God, one true God, and he's a holy God, and he wants to have a relationship with us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They would agree, you know, we need to pray to him, uh, we need to worship, we need to give our offerings, uh, serve. They would agree... theologically right down the line. But they were constantly butting heads on who they agreed with on just about everything. So what was it? Well, it was a different approach. It was different methodology. It was a different uh, way of doing things. A different way of seeing things. I'll give an example. Jesus, a uh, woman caught in adultery brought to Jesus. The Bible says, you know, she should be stoned. Jesus would agree with the Bible. <laughs> he wrote the Bible. He would agree with that. The Pharisees wanted to stone her. I don't know if they wanted to really stone her. They wanted to trap Jesus, but uh, they wanted to stone her. And Jesus, what did he do? He said, "Ah, well, you know, yeah, that's what the Bible says. But it, you know, who, who here without sin? You go ahead and throw you. You throw the first stone." <laughs> and they all walked away. Now Jesus told her, "Hey, I, I'm not going to condemn you either. But stop doing this. It's not. This is not healthy. It's not good for you." So methodology, approach. Completely different. Theologically agreed. Approach was different. Now, now, theologically, I agree with the religious right, the evangelical church. It's just methodology that I have problems with. Another thing they weren't concerned about guilt by association. Now, this is not a good parenting style, parents. <laughs> it's important who your kids hang out with. Don't say, hey, hang on with the worst kids in school. You know, it's not a good parenting strategy, but theologically or for Jesus followers, it needs to be our strategy. <clears throat> um, what was Jesus' reputation? That's what we're concerned about a reputation, right? What people think? What was Jesus' reputation? He was accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Another place, he was accused of being a drunkard, a partier. Was Jesus concerned about guilt by association? (laughs) He could could care less, right? Who was? Who was concerned about guilt by association? Pharisees were. And it's just mind-boggling. They had Jesus arrested. They... I assume they paid, I think they paid these guys to lie about Jesus, give false testimony. And they get to Pilate's house and Pilate wants to invite them in and they say, no, 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 no. We can't come in. That wouldn't, be, you're, you're you're not a, you're a Gentile, and we're, we're Jews, we can't go into Gentile houses. <laughs> how, how hypocritical is that? They were concerned about guilt by association yet they could, you know, get people to give false testimony about Jesus. Now the problem is, and Jesus ran into this problem. And if we're this kind of church, we're going to run this problem. It's, okay, I guess you're, you're condoning sin. Right? You're hanging out with tax collectors. You're condoning what they're doing. And Jesus' response would say, are you crazy? Sin is going to nail me to the cross. I never condone sin. But I'm concerned about the sinner. I'm concerned about building a, a relationship, bridge with them. In fact, later on, who was the leader of the church? Peter was, right? Paul, Paul comes along and he has this interaction with Jesus, Peter. And, and he notices Peter hanging out with Gentiles until the Jews show up. And when the Jews show up, Peter's out of there. He separates himself from the Gentiles. And, and it's just driving Paul crazy. He said, you're a hypocrite. This is the leader of the church. And Paul's telling him, hey, this is wrong. You're a hypocrite. Another thing the church did. They refused to be dragged into debates. They distracted them for primary issues. Now, Jesus was a master at this. One time, the Pharisees come to Jesus and said, Hey, uh, you know, the Romans have occupied us and are charging us this tax. Should we pay this tax? And Jesus says, "Uh, Whose picture's on the coin? Uh, Caesar's. He said, well, give Caesar's what is Caesar's. Give God's what is God's. And then he left. Another time they came, "Uh, Jesus, what authority do you have to teach these things you're teaching? You know, love your enemies and all that stuff. And Jesus says, well, uh, you tell me by what authority John the Baptist baptized people. And so the little group of Pharisees go off to the side and say, wow, you know, if we say, if we say that, that um, the authority came from God, they're going to say, well, why didn't you support John the Baptist? And if we say it wasn't from God, he, John's so popular that they might even stone us. So <laughs> they go back to Jesus and say, we, uh, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither am I going to tell you what, by what authority I, I say what I say. And he leaves. Now, did Jesus know what authority he had? Sure he did. Here's the point. Sometimes there's questions you should never answer, depending on who's asking, what attitude, for what purpose. And it's not that complicated. You can tell when people are just trying to make an argument. Get in an argument, right? And when a person sincerely wants to know what you think. Sometimes teach your kids this. Sometimes you don't need to answer every question. Now here's a biggie: we see in the early church, they didn't judge non-believers for behaving like non-believers. This is the thing that drives me crazy about the evangelical church. <laughs> we rant and rave about the folks, things the folks are out there are doing, when they make no commitment to the principles that we are trying to follow. Whose behavior should we monitor? Our behavior. Jesus followers aren't that good at being Jesus followers. Why would we expect non Jesus followers to be Jesus followers? It's crazy. It's none of our business. Again, Paul going to Athens and saying, What's the matter with you Athenians worshiping these idols? That's crazy, right? They didn't know any better. Now, should we be concerned? Absolutely. About the behavior of folks out there. But we shouldn't try. We shouldn't be judging them at all. We're going to judge somebody, judge ourselves. Now, we're going to look at something Jesus said, and then something Paul said, and then we'll wrap this teaching up. So this is the beginning of Jesus' teaching, and he uses this analogy, and it's a really good analogy. He says, you are the light of the world. He's saying, all right, the world is dark. There's not a lot of good in the world. And so you're supposed to be light. You're supposed to be representing me and appreciate the songs. The light was in all three songs that uh, Dan did. If um, you ever been in a dark room and you know, put a flashlight on or a candle? And nowadays we just put our phone on. Uh, we can see. It's completely different. And if you walk into a or somebody else does it, you, your eye goes there. You are attracted. we'll talk about that. Light is attractional. And so he says, you're to be the light of this world. Dark world, you're to be light. And he goes on with the illustration. uh, Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You ever been flying at night and come into a big city? You know, you're going to be flying over the ocean where it's dark. And then all of a sudden, you know, you show D.C. or Baltimore or something. You can't miss it. It's huge, right? It's all lit up. And he said, that's what you're supposed to be. And that's what the church is supposed to be. You know, all lit up can't miss it. And then he uses the, this, explains the analogy, no, no one gets a light or lamp and puts it under a basket. <laughs> you know, you don't turn your phone on and then cover it up. You don't like the, the flashlight and cover it up, candle and cover it up. If you on light, you want it to shine. So he said, instead a lamp is placed in a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So, h- h- how are we supposed to do that? Well, he, he gives a good example. He says, in the same way, Here's how you can show light. Be light in a dark place. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Alright? So do good. Not make points. Not be preaching at people. Not putting them down. But just do good deeds. And then people say, hey, you know, you know they're doing better deeds, good deeds, than than my, the folks I hang out with. Maybe it's because of that Jesus they." They worship or connected with, and they start to connect the dots. As he's saying, "Be light," and that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Will see the connection. So we should be out give. We should out serve. We should out whatever, <laughs> out help. Anybody else in our culture? I can believe Jesus says this to us. I want you to live your life in such a way to make a point. By making a difference. And Jesus could, knows what people think. I sometimes try to anticipate your pushback. And, and so their pushback was well, what about the truth? What about the, the Word? What about the Bible? What about righteousness? What about holiness? And so Jesus responds. He says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses, the writings of the prophets. You know, that stuff is still true. I still support that. He says, no, I come to accomplish their purpose. What is the the purpose of the Bible? It was to connect people with God, right? To bring people back into fellowship with God, relationship with God. He says, okay, (laughs) that's why I've come. We're not going to do away with that. We're just going to do it differently. So the way I would summarize this, being light is this. You will be attractional. Even the bugs are attracted to light, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, sometimes. We don't want them to be. So I said, you should be attractional. Let me ask you, is it the evangelical church attractional to, to our culture? As a whole no. We're not doing it right. We're not being light. Or maybe we're doing our little holy huddles where we got our lights in here, but the built walls of the building are not letting people see. So that's Jesus' illustration. Let's look at way Paul. one way Paul described how we should do this. This is in Colossians. <clears throat> Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Now, he's describing Jesus followers and people that aren't Jesus followers. He's not saying good people and bad people. The difference between Jesus followers and people that aren't. So, we're insiders, quote unquote, if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not, again, we're glad you're here. If you're not, you're an outsider, all right? So he says, be wise, think about it, be conscientious, be careful in the way you act toward people that aren't Jesus followers. Then he goes on. He said, make the most of every opportunity. So anytime you're having a relationship or having a conversation or an interaction with somebody that's not a Jesus follower, make the most of that opportunity to be light. Now he describes. How to do that? He says, "Let your conversations be always full of what? Go ahead, full of what? Grace. Grace. All right, full of grace. So whenever any time you're interacting or talking with somebody that's not a Jesus follower, that conversation should be full of grace. Now, sometimes we're say we're full, and then somebody brings out some dessert, and oh, I could eat that." Our kids used to say that their dessert department isn't, wasn't full. <laughs> the, you know, the, the good food department was full, but the dessert department wasn't full. <clears throat> when, Jesus, when Paul... Well, what's the, word, what's, what's the word full mean? If I have a glass full of water, that means it's full to the brim. And I have to be careful when I carry it, otherwise the water will spill out. I can't put anything else in there, right? Because it's full. He said that our conversation should be full... Of grace. Now, this is it. fascinating. Seasoned with salt. Now, if I have a glass of water, I can put a little salt in there, couldn't I? And make salt water. He said, full of grace. Completely, totally grace. But then sprinkle in salt or truth. All right? Think about this way. If you expect people to respect you, what do you have to do? Respect them. Absolutely. <laughs> this is the evangelical church respect and as a whole, respect the people in our culture? No. And so they don't respect us. Our goal should be to bring out the best in that person. Of course, we believe part of that is being a Jesus follower. So as I look back at the church, evangelical church, for the last 50 years, Paul said, let your conversation be full of grace, sprinkled with salt. You know what? I, how my interpretation of the evangelical church is It's this. We had... Conversations full of salt, sprinkle with a little grace. You know, if you stop doing this, get your act together, whatever, and you can come join us. how dare you? Behave yourselves. We've been making points, but we're not making a difference. Think about it. Those of you who are Jesus followers, how did you become a Jesus follower? I guarantee you, somebody had a relationship with you that was full of grace. Accepted you just as you were. They sprinkled in the truth. It maybe made you a little uncomfortable. Maybe it made you feel guilty. Not because they, they were meaning to. It's just because it did. Now, the early church is just so fascinating. I told you after 300 years, the whole Roman Empire became Christian. In that 300 years, there were three major plagues in the, in the Roman Empire. And the Romans, the, or the, the non-believers, especially the rich people, would, would run out of town as soon as the plague would hit. Uh, they would abandon town. If their relatives were sick, they would leave them in the street. The next folks to leave were the, were, <laughs> were the priests. <laughs> uh, they would get out of town. And so the poor people were left in town to suffer and die. But the J- Jesus followers, the believers, they stayed they took care of the other believers and even took care of the unbelievers. And it, by the year 300, um, Constantine became emperor and he became a Jesus follower and he declared that the Roman Empire would be Jesus followers and by 313, uh, he did away with persecution of the church. So, 300 years under persecution of the Roman Empire, the church took over the Roman Empire. How amazing is that? How did they do it? It wasn't by making points. Then a couple of emperors later, about 3060, the emperor's name was Julian. He became known as Julian the Apostate. And he said, I want to go back to the old days. I want to go back to pagan worship. So he made pagan temples and, and uh, he got pagan priests. And he got really frustrated because they weren't getting any traction. You know, Christianity was taking over. And so we have some excerpts from a letter he wrote. It's, just, it, it's, it's comical almost. He said, recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character. Even if it's pretend. You know, there are such good people. It, nobody's that good. They must be pretending. But that's how, part of their growth. And by their benevolence towards strangers. Now he goes on to explain what he means. <clears throat> I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the priests, he meaning the pagan priest, his priest, okay, they're neglecting the poor because they don't care about the poor because they believe their gods don't care about the poor. Then he says, But the impious Galileans, that's how he described the Jesus followers, observe this and devote themselves to benevolence. Ah, you're not going to take care of your own people? And he goes on. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well that's how the church took over the Roman Empire and he finishes with this everyone can see that our people lack aid from us but they're getting aid from the impious Galileans <laughs> so how was the West won? that's how the West was won so how can we make a difference well the same way they did first we're not going to be fear guilt by association the problem is we'll at times appear inconsistent. We'll treat one situation one way and another situation that way. Jesus hung out with Matthew, he hung out with you know he went to some Pharisees' houses. Well, which is it, Jesus? He would say it's not either or, it's both. The old black preacher would say, Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. Didn't take sides. We can't take sides. Don't worry guilt by association. Secondly, we're not going to please the behavior of people <laughs> who don't believe what we believe. That's crazy. It's insane. Now, sometimes I'll say, if you're not a Jesus follower, you know, this is what the Bible teaches. I believe it's helpful, beneficial to you. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, the principles work. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, say, hey, we got to do this. That's what Jesus says. We got to be lights. We got to be a, attractional. Clearly, we're not going to talk, we are going to talk about political and cultural issues that interface with biblical teaching. We don't shy away from the things. We teach those things. We teach them for us. Because as Jesus follows, we have to. We have to take care of the poor. And we have to you know, not waste our resources on gambling. We have to you know, support the unborn. We have to do those things. Another thing they did and we need to do, we're going to walk toward the messes. Why? Because we all were a mess at once upon a time. Some of us are still messes. If you're not a mess, you will be. So it's not about having policies and rules and drawing lines in the sand. It's about conversations and grace and let me just say this. We're not always going to get this right. To have policies and right and wrong and black and white, you can always get that right by making points. Not to make a difference, but you make a point. So we're not always going to get it right. Peter didn't get it right. Of course, Jesus did. <laughs> the rest of so the mission of the church is the world would know that God has done something in the world. God sent his only son to earth, loved us enough to come and suffer and die. Raise from the dead, conquer death. And that's our message. When people grasp a hold of that, they change from the inside out, not from the outside. That's what light does. Let our conversations be full of grace sprinkled with salt or truth. Let's pray. God is oh, it's so heartbreaking to, to me, to, to you, obviously. The church is not getting it right. We have the truth, but we just don't share with grace. We're losing ground, God, and that makes you sad. But we have the model. And we certainly have a lot more resources than the early church. We had the model. And maybe it'll take a few hundred years, but we need to do our part. God, help us do that. If you're not a Jesus follower here this morning, we would, we would pray for you. We'd ask you to, to try it. Your life will never be the same. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.